0: Welcome to Raising Up Copts, a podcast about raising Coptic kids in Western culture, hosted by Laura Michael and me, Madonna Lewindi. Hi, Laura. Hi. Today, we asked our listeners to respond to the question, what are some parenting myths
1: you believed before having children, and what is the reality that you experienced? So I love this topic. I think it's going to be hilarious. Just going back and remembering our pre-child life. And all of those ideas we had
0: way back when. So Madonna, did you have myths that you believed about parenting before having kids? Oh my gosh, Laura. So as you know, I was a teacher in an elementary classroom. So I had 25 kids at a time. And for me, that was a breeze. Like I felt like I was a natural at it. And I saw a lot of other people's kids and their parenting styles. And I was right there able to critique every single person's parenting. Like, "Mm, you're doing this wrong. Oh, you're doing this Right. But let me tell you, no amount of preparation, no amount of, you know, time with kids will prepare you for having your own. It's definitely not the same. So that was a big myth. Just because I know what to do with kids does not mean I knew what to do with my own kids. Also, a big one for me was, in general, my kids' behavior in public. I was sure when I saw other kids having tantrums or, you know, melting down, that it was just poor parenting, and so my kids would never experience tantrum or do anything in public, and um, that was not the truth. <laughs> Thankfully, my kids aren't huge tantrum throwers necessarily. They don't go into stores and like melt down and demand things. However, they do still have big emotions in front of like family and friends, and I still feel embarrassed about that, even though like it's not necessarily a public public tantrum. Um, but I realize that that's more on me. And finally, the big one is that I thought that I would fix all the quote unquote mistakes that my parents made, and I wouldn't repeat them with my children, which is true for some things, but largely, I actually gained a huge appreciation for all the choices my parents made, why they did what they did, and I felt bad that I gave them such a hard time. So I actually ended up doing the same thing that they did, either because it's ingrained in me or because it simply was just what had to happen, and it was actually smart. So yeah. Yeah. Definitely quite a few myths that I have lived, <laughs> lived through then versus now. How about you, Laura? Yeah, I think I was just really oblivious to what it meant
1: to be a parent. Uh, you know, I, one of my myths was definitely that I would get to sleep again, you know, that I'd be able to sleep through the night, maybe by three months, you know, we would figure it out that, you know, babies, they always say by six months, you're in a rhythm and you are, but I thought it meant like, you'd be like there, you'd be done, you'd be a parent. <laughs> And unfortunately, every single age has its own challenges. I have maybe slept through the night two or three times since having my first, just because there's always something going on and there's always a reason to wake up and worry, even if they're not the ones waking me up. So it feels like there's always this kind of overwhelming sense of responsibility that I had no idea my parents had. I love that you said that you were started to appreciate your parents. I definitely... I think it took two weeks for me to realize that my mother was a saint for raising four of us. I'm like, <laughs> Who would do that four times? <laughs> and some but, people more than that. <laughs> some people more. Yeah. So just
0: realizing uh, all that goes into it, I think it's just such a big surprise. I totally agree with that. and. We knew that this was a popular topic. We knew that everybody had their own ideas about parenting before they had kids. So we took to our listeners and we asked them to share their experiences. And we got some really good ones, really common ones, lots of repeats, just to show you how we're all kind of in the same boat. And there are quite a few. So what we're going to do is just read them out to you and, and kind of give our input as it goes along. So, Laura, you go first.
1: Okay. Number one, having prior experience with kids would make me the perfect parent, whether I'm teaching or I have lots of siblings, like I'm the oldest of four, or babysitting. I was a great babysitter. That would make me the perfect parent. I'd know what to do. What do you think, Madonna?
0: Well, just like I told you guys before, I I really thought I had it in the bag and then I had kids and God laughed at my face. <laughs> that was not the case at all. For yeah, sure. same
1: for me. I really thought that I just would get it. I would just be natural. And it still took so much learning to figure out that the very different relationship of them being your own children.
0: Yeah. And also, I mean, with teaching, for example, like I really underestimated the fact that you send them home at the end of the day. No, these are with you all day, all night. And when they're not with you, they are with you still like in your mind, in your heart, there is no break from it. There's no not necessarily in a bad way. Just yeah. you always thinking about it. Okay. Here's another good one. Boys are easier to raise than girls, which is actually different than what I've always heard, which is girls are easier to raise than boys. What about you, Laura? What you hear? So I definitely always thought boys would be harder because I, um, like
1: I said, I, I have three sisters, so I know a lot more about girls. But what I've heard is that maybe, Madonna, it depends on the age group, that maybe teenage boys are easier to handle than teenage girls. But I haven't gotten there yet. But i can tell you for the younger ages no like if you tell a girl if you tell my daughter to do something she just does it like if you tell her Mm. this pot is hot she will not go touch it but if
0: you tell my son this pot is hot he'll be like oh really let's investigate (laughs) (laughs) it's funny because i think somebody that i met randomly on vacation one time saw us with our kids and their advice was very simple they said girls are emotionally exhausting they will have you questioning everything you think about. And they're they have really deep emotions. And boys, not that they're not emotional, but they are more physically exhausting. They want to jump from high places and almost kill themselves. They want to touch the, the hot pot, like you said. They want to do the things that are going to surely get them hurt or killed. <laughs> so yeah. it's definitely challenging in their own ways.
1: I definitely always feel like, I mean, one of the things I say is today is not going to be the day we call 911, okay? <laughs> Okay. Number three, I would be able to control everything, but learning to let go and depend on God was number one. What do you think Madonna?
0: Yeah. I think a hundred percent. If one thing I've really learned is that I really don't have control over much. I can plan, I can plot, I can, you know, execute all these things, but either a, the outcome is never what I expect or B, it was never in my control to begin with. And I just tried really hard and caused myself a lot of heartache that was unnecessary because it's not my place to control it.
1: Yeah, there are a lot of things that we're responsible to do as parents, but the outcomes are completely out of our hands. And, you know, my whenever I told, you know, my parents, I was like, oh, you guys did such a good job raising us. They would say, it was the grace of God.
0: And they would <laughs> say like with this terror in their voice. like, <laughs> Right. <laughs> and which I think, actually has a lot to do with the next one, which is a myth is my kids would actually listen to me. (laughs) Laura, what's your experience been with this? Yeah, they, um, they still talk
1: back. They still do what they want. Um, they still have their own opinions and they still, um, they just, and thank God my kids are actually pretty good listeners. I, again, I feel like maybe some of this, we are going to hit more in the teen years, Mm. but, um, but yeah, you know, once we explain our perspective a few times, they'll listen and they often accept it. But in the end, they have their own minds and they make up their own minds about things.
0: I feel like that's been a similar situation with us. I, Danny, and I have tried really hard to be intentional about not just saying no is no. And because I said so, even though that definitely still comes out quite a bit, but we try to at least explain why we're saying what we're saying so that it's more of a conversation. Um, but still, <laughs> that does not guarantee a positive outcome. It does not guarantee that they are just going to be like, "Oh, in that case, yes, mother, yes, father. It doesn't always work like that, not at all. Okay, the next one, God punishes you when you do something wrong. I wasn't really sure what the uh, person meant by this. What do you think Madonna i think I think what i what I got from it when I was reading it was just that um." the idea that God loves us no matter what, it is not based on what we do for him. It is not based on our right choices. We do the right thing because of our love for him, but it's not us earning his love. And I think maybe that was something that they learned better after having kids. Uh, Perhaps, you know, we kind of take the same approach with our children. We do not love them based on what they do or they don't do obviously we have easier days when they do what we ask them to do and we expect their uh, cooperation and their respect, but our love does not change for them based on whether they do the right thing or not.
1: Yeah. And the discipline just sometimes comes out of a neutral position. You know, you need them to learn a specific skill or trait something along those lines. And so, yeah, so sometimes it's not, you know, maybe punish is not the word there, but like uh, God's discipline doesn't always come because of we. Of our mistakes. It's just um, a way for us to grow, a, a direction for us to move in.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, this next one is one we've talked about on a prior podcast episode, and it was that breastfeeding is natural and that mom and baby would naturally know how to do it. And as I've told this story many times before, that has not been the case for me, for either one of my children. It took weeks for us to, you know, get a latch down, for them to gain weight properly, for them to, you know, figure it out. And for me to figure it out, for it not to be painful, it's definitely not one of those things that just happened overnight. It took lots of time and lots of persistence to make it work, which is not what I thought. What about you?
1: Yeah, and actually I would say a lot of, a lot of things perpetuate this myth, you know, um, on TV or in a movie, it just seems so easy. There are even bloggers that talk about how easy it was for them. And I think recognizing that that's not a common, um, that, that's not common. It, it is common for you to, to have to learn it, that it is a learned skill, that it's something that um, you and the baby will struggle with. I think it's,
0: that's, you know,
1: all the real women I've spoken to in real life <laughs> have talked about that.
0: Some, but I do know some women who really didn't have an issue. So I know it's possible. It's just the majority of people that I have talked to, their experience was like mine where it was, it took time. So there's something to be said about it going both ways, I guess. You just never know.
1: Yeah. And they don't give you a manual. It's not like the baby comes with a manual for exactly how, but there's no, I think we talked about this before. There's no instant download of how to do all of the things that come with parenting. Absolutely. So the next one is your life will be over. You'll never travel again. You'll never create anything again. You'll never be able to engage in your hobbies again. Madonna, is your life over?
0: <laughs> I, I feel like I'm still breathing. I'm still here. <laughs> I don't know. I I can see where this myth originates from because people who go out with people that have kids know that eating at a re- at a restaurant, for example, the thing that used to be very simple—you just walk in, you order, you get your meal, and you walk out—does not look the same. It does not. It is not as necessarily cut and dry or as peaceful as it used to be. However, do we travel with our kids? 100%. We take long road trips with our kids all the time. We take them out to restaurants. With the whole creating anything again, I do it with my kids a lot of the times or maybe after they sleep or on those times that they go to school. There is definitely room. It is just not the way that it used to be, but it does not make it null and void.
1: Yeah, definitely for engaging in your hobbies. I mean, I became a much better photographer when I had kids, for example, because I had a willing subjects or at least um, <laughs> immobile subjects <laughs> who could not get away from me and my camera. Um, we definitely traveled. We took flights. We took, like you said, we love road trips. Uh, we went on a cruise. Like we did a lot of things, even when the kids were babies, it was definitely it required a lot more prep, a lot mm-hmm. more planning, um, like an understanding that like We would have to be back in a hotel room for nap time or something along those lines, right? Um, But no, it wasn't completely over. Although I do tell people because um, you know, a lot of times when you, like you said, when you have kids and um, you have friends who don't have kids yet, they've got all this um, all this flexibility in their time and their energy that you don't end up having after. But by no means is your life over.
0: Yeah, no, not at all. And I and I want to encourage people too that they should just do it. Just do it. Just try it. And the more you do it, the better you'll get at doing it and doing it. I mean, like all the things that you want to do, but with kids along, just do it. Okay. So the next one was that parents raise their kids, but really it's the other way around (laughs) kids raise parents. Um, I can relate to this one so much, but I'm gonna let you go first, Laura. What do you think about this? Yeah, I think
1: 100% uh, they are the ones raising us. Uh, yeah, I definitely feel like I, all of my weaknesses and all of my foibles are completely bare, uh, you know, especially when you see them repeat a behavior or a thought that you have that you, you see in them, you know, like if they're insecure about something and you're like, wait, that's me. I see me and I, now I need to fix me and them, you know, uh, there's a lot of situations like that where, um you know, they teach you, they teach you responsibility, they teach you patience, they teach you, you know, all the virtues come through this like hard-won battle um, with your kids
0: leading the way. I truly think it's by God's design too, that having parent or having kids, having parenting, having kids is such a refining process for you. It is, they are your little mirrors and you can look at them and see all of the things that you need to be changed or challenged um, in yourself. And it's for our salvation and for their salvation. So it's a good thing. It's a challenging thing, but it is a good thing for sure.
1: Another myth we had was
0: the parent is always right,
1: should always appear strong and in control in front of your children.
0: What do you think, Madonna? Oh yeah, I haven't experienced the parent is always right thing. (laughs) Um, I know that that was, I feel like this one I had an appropriate uh, expectation for. I felt like, I knew that that was one of the things I didn't want to be in front of my kids. I knew that that was one of the things that I wanted them to understand that I am a human, that I make mistakes, that I am not always going to be in control of my emotions, just like they are not. The difference was I was also going to show them how to fix it and how to, you know, um, remediate those things. You know, I was going to go to them and tell them I'm wrong and I'm sorry. And I was going to tell them, hey, mommy got really upset and I really shouldn't have reacted like that. I'm so sorry. And it has worked so much better than pretending like I have it all together all the time for their sanity and mine.
1: For sure. And I feel
0: like, you know, learning to apologize to your kids, um,
1: showing them your process of thinking through things and um, trying to uh, assess situations. I think for me, one of the reasons like you, I wanted to make sure not to do that is I didn't want there to be this big drop off in the teen years when they suddenly realize that I'm not perfect, and maybe that will still happen again, our kids are all under thirteen, but um, for now, I'm hoping that that transition between uh, I'm a child and I adore my parents and they can do no wrong and my parents are human. I'm hoping that that transition is a little gentler on us. absolutely, yes,
0: yes. and uh, the next one um, they only gave us one part of the statement, so I'm going to extrapolate what I think it means so the the input was financial security is a priority. Um, What I am going to say is it means kids need your time, not necessarily your money. While being ambitious, while going after the things that make you financially secure in your home is definitely important. And we know that that's one of the things kids need. They do not need that more than your time. So being able to put aside work and spending time with them is really what they're looking for.
1: Yeah, definitely Abuna always says that kids are an investment of time and that what they want more than anything is time. And I think this myth comes out of the idea that like you should be financially prepared to have children and you know we always the the saying in Arabic is that um, kids come with their own um, oh, I don't know what the word would be in uh, in English but they come with their own money. Like God mm. provides to cover the expense of the child. The the gift of the child comes with what's needed to cover cover it financially. Um, I love that. So thank God for that. Um, yeah. The next one is not reaching milestones is the parent's fault. <laughs> what do you think?
0: Uh, that one, that one hurt my heart a little bit. I'm not going to lie. I, because I was in the teaching world, I felt like I knew that that was not the case. I I've seen many, a super involved parent where the kids are just struggling and they couldn't figure out why or things were just difficult for the child and it was not because of a lack of the parents understanding so that one I didn't relate to as much but I understand where that would come from
1: yeah for sure I think that you know we we want to be in control even of their growth and their ability and some things just are out of our hands and they'll they'll do their thing in their time
0: but you know The next one, however, I was definitely one of these people and that is a mom whose kids run wild in church is a result of poor upbringing. And this person said, but really it's just that mom is tired and immune to the loud noises. (laughs) I actually
1: yeah, had a different perspective about that one because when I was younger, we had a couple of boys, especially who ran wild in church and watching them grow up actually those same boys became the best deacons and the most devoted Christians, and they're the ones that are still in the church. And so my perspective was that, you know, those kids that are running wild in church are being brought to church by their parents and their parents somehow are enduring this, the feeling of shame that gets um, projected onto them for being, um, you know, bad parents for having these wild children. And so I always say that the boys that run through the altar are the boys that end up being like the best deacons later because they know the church is their home, they're comfortable, um, they're they're intimately involved in um, church attendance. That it's part of their daily or like their weekly life.
0: Um, this one. This one hit me really hard, actually, because I remember really, really struggling with this after I had kids because I was used to just kind of going into church and doing my thing. And um, I definitely side eyed people, you know, whose kids were screaming. And I'll admit it. I'll admit it before everybody listening and before God, I was definitely not uh, gracious. I did on several occasions try to go help um, if I knew the parent, like I would take the kid outside for a walk because I knew it was a necessary uh, break that they needed. However, I thought I would just do better at it for some reason, but that's not the truth. I mean, especially in our Coptic church, liturgy is quite long for a little child, and uh, there's a lot of things that are happening that they don't quite understand yet, or they can't grasp yet. It's not like plain talking and plain um, you know, singing. It, there's a lot more to it than that, so it can get really difficult, but definitely this is one of those areas where you don't bear the fruits of it until much later down the line you take them, you show up, you try every single Sunday, and then you don't really see the results of that until much later. And it can be hard to, you know, keep vigil during that time.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think even knowing and having that philosophy about your kids um, needing to be in church, it was still very overwhelming when I had to deal with, um, with negative behavior in church and having to like take them in and out and in and out. But I mean, even just last night, um, you know, the kids were reciting parts of the liturgy. And when was saying like, this is all it takes, all it takes is to bring them to liturgy and let them listen. And mm-hmm. they will um, absorb everything. They absorb the theology that's built into the liturgy. They absorb the hymns and the tunes. They have to be there to absorb. So if your decision is between saving face in front of other people and just not showing up or coming and struggling, definitely come and do the struggling. It's so worth it. Um, Like you said, it brings such beautiful fruit. Uh, Just, um, yeah, I thought that was really important. All right. The next one, Madonna, is you're a failure if you're a stay-at-home mom, but the reality is it takes great sacrifice. I think it's perfect for us.
0: (laughs) Uh, uh, Ouch. (laughs) That one. That one I had to come to terms with because, well, my mom it was a stay-at-home mom for a large part of our life up until I think I went to third or fourth grade, and I have made the decision to stay at home with my own children, so I definitely don't think it's a failure. However, it was really difficult for me to accept my decision for a long time. I will be 100% transparent and say that it took me years to enjoy this decision, I knew it was the right thing to do. I knew I had to do it for me and our family. Um, And I was lucky that I was able to, you know, be part of a marriage where my husband supported that as well. And that financially we were able to afford that. But I will say, I agree with the second part of that, that it takes great sacrifice because hundred percent, I had to put everything that I wanted to do on the back burner when my kids were super young because they needed 24 hour, you know, uh, care and just presence my presence there and so it was definitely very difficult however once again just like the church thing i feel like i see the fruit of it i feel like it has benefited us greatly and i feel like it's 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 been good for my kids and for our family
1: yeah i think for me as well so my mom worked when i was little but then was a stay at home mom for the other three and you know i always felt um you know terribly guilty for her for having to give up her dreams and having to give up her, her own position and career to take care of us. But I knew that I wanted that for my kids. I wanted to be there for them. But just like you said, knowing that that was the decision I wanted to make did not make it easier when the time came. There are many times where I feel, oh, I should be contributing financially or oh, like what about when I, when I was young and dreamed of this or whatever. Um, but the fact of the matter is that even with all that great sacrifice, again, like you said, Madonna, so for our family, it was definitely the right decision and I think that we're um, we're enjoying it, and I, and like you said, we are now. Lear- I'm learning to enjoy that that um, that position in that
0: place. For sure. The next one is uh, I will read to my kids, and they will enjoy it and sit quietly and listen. And with that, I say, as the young kids do, LOL, <laughs> laugh out loud, because the reality is they interrupt, they ask a billion questions, they make you stop and go back to different pages and they want to look at stuff. And um, and it can get kind of frustrating when you're trying to read them and you just want to get through the book. And I've experienced this, especially with starting to read chapter books to my kids that out loud that they... Uh, want to go back and think about something and ponder something. And I'm just like, just listen to the story, just get through it. And I realize their way is also correct. My way is also correct. But for them for right now, this is part of their comprehension and their processing is take it in, soak it up, process, think about what's going on, ask questions. It's hard, but it's for, it's for their good. Yeah. And as
1: an English teacher, I would definitely recommend that you let your kids lead the way on the reading. So if they want to just look at all the pictures, then that's okay. Then if they want to read the same page 50 times, that's okay. You know, I definitely had this vision that I would put my finger on the word and we would go through it (laughs) and they would automatically absorb all the sight words. No. okay, I will set up nice crafts and art projects and they will enjoy it. The reality is they have their own version of art
0: and it's usually coloring on walls or furniture. (laughs) Oh Lord, I'm a huge arts and crafts person. Um, And thankfully I did not have too much experience with the coloring on walls or furniture because I have art supplies ready and I'm invested in it because I enjoy it. So we've spent a lot of time learning how to use it. However, that does not mean we don't end up with pieces of cut paper all over the floor, coloring outside the lines on to- onto the table, things like that. It definitely happens. And there has been many times where I have this amazing craft that I have figured out and that I am so excited to show them. And then I come to do it with them. And either A, they are completely uninterested and it's been a complete waste of my time <laughs> and theirs, or B, it just all gets destroyed and they want to do it their own way. And it's not at all how I expected it to go definitely happens.
1: Yeah. I think that, Oh, people who know me, uh, know the story of my, of my beautiful little love seat. So I, you know, I raised my daughter and she was, you know, four or five years old before I had my son. And she was just like a perfect angel does everything that I tell her to. And so in my head, I was like, okay, I mean, I did great with the first one. I'm going to do great (laughs) with the second. So I bought myself from Pier one, this cute little um white love seat. <laughs> oh no. And I made the mistake of not disposing of all the markers in the house. <laughs> <laughs> and I just have this like this vision of me sobbing over my now colorful um oh. white love seat with my daughter like patting me on the back saying it's okay mommy it's going to be okay. <laughs> <laughs> So yes, uh, number two, uh, he colored on all the walls and on all the furniture. And I banned markers for, I would say like five more years. <laughs> oh my gosh, so hard. So we, had hard. To try, we had to try other things, crayons, colored <laughs> pencils, anything that would not leave permanent marks on my furniture with that.
0: They, oh, they Danny's huge know. thing is if it doesn't say washable, don't bring it into this house. <laughs> yes. You have to accept the reality that you have children. So yeah. Absolutely. Okay, so this one's a good one too. They will only eat healthy homemade meals or they will eat whatever I give them. But the reality is they are so picky and I spend an hour cooking something new and delicious and then they, I end up eating it alone and they only want mac and cheese or chicken nuggets. What's your experience with this, Lara? This one hurts me so much
1: because I'm still struggling with this one. And I feel like, you know, I go online or I have these friends who are like perfect, at um, handling the, the nutrition of their families, and I'm just like, will you please eat out so that I don't have to cook today? Because I'm exhausted. Because that's the reality <laughs> of it. Um, you know, even after our conversation with Sandra the other week, uh, I just was like, okay, we're gonna eat more veggies, and they do, they really do. But for I think sometimes um, we have to accept the reality that sometimes we're busy, and sometimes we need something frozen, and sometimes we need something out of a box, and parenting has so many different facets. It's not just the food. So it's good. I mean, we have lots of tips. We should do a whole thing on tips on how to get your kids to eat veggies, but there are lots of good tips and tricks for getting your kids to try new things, but please do what I don't know how to do yet, which is forgive yourself when you need to give them chicken nuggets, when you need to swing by some fast food place just so that you can survive a night, you know, like if you need to take them somewhere as a treat do it if you need to buy a Stouffer's lasagna do it like whatever it takes to survive the the day the week there are your your there's so many other priorities you, you just take turns like don't don't let yourself get stressed out about it
0: In our household, Danny is the one that's super nutritious and health conscious. So for me, I'm all about the frozen meals and whatever's quick and easy. Especially because I am paralyzed in the kitchen. I am not a good cook, and I don't know what to do. So I rely on things that are quick and easy. But I will say that my kids are actually decent in this area. They try quite a few things. However, I have the opposite problem that they only want to eat fruits and vegetables, and it is I am hard pressed to get them to eat a source of protein. (laughs) So. Everybody has their struggles, that's for sure.
1: Yeah, I would say uh, with my daughter, for sure, all she wants for lunch are like raw veggies. I'm like, you need to eat the other food groups. Other food groups are important. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but still, still, uh, I would say, yeah, we-, we need a whole episode on this one. Yes. Okay, the next one. We will go out in public on walks and they will walk beside me. And the reality is they run away and there's a lot of forced handholding and discipline to stay close. What do you
0: think? I, I had the same thing kind of that you had with the whole arts and craft situation that my daughter was just simply did not care to run away. She was anxious enough that she wanted to stay right by me and she still explored, but it was always within like a two foot radius from where I was standing. My son, on the other hand, he could care less if I was standing there, he could care less if like, we were like, we're going to go and you're going to stay here. No, he's fine running through the mall, running through the clothes racks, hiding like I could he, he couldn't care less. That's for sure. Yeah, definitely. With my son, I felt like it was the first
1: time I empathized with those parents that put their kids on leashes. I, yes. had, I always, always made fun of those parents, but he literally did not care. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. So yeah. one of the tricks for that one is I always told my kids, you're, you're not allowed to leave my hand until you're taller than the trunk of a car. So the reason I'm keeping you with me is so that cars can see you. So if your head doesn't come above the trunk of a car, you should not even think about letting go of my hand.
0: (laughs) So one thing I did do if we are looking for tips is that when I had the stroller or if I had like my purse, I actually would have them hold my purse handle and they would love that because I wasn't holding their hands. They didn't feel confined, but it was like an easy grab for them they were like i'd be like oh what are you supposed to be holding and they'll just grab my purse handle and that for them worked so sometimes there's ways around it but sometimes there's a fleeting thing catching their interest they're gone they're out of there <laughs> okay the next one is one i definitely felt trapped to which was my kids will never watch tv or have screens or have tablets or any of that but in reality They said in many cases, it has helped them expand vocabulary, learn new skills, and it's a lifesaver. I will say that with my daughter, I was really good about not having her watch anything. But when I got pregnant with my second and I got to be to that point where I was just so tired or, you know, not sleeping or just, you know, all the things that come with new motherhood again, she definitely was all over that TV. And let me tell you, they kind of have a point here that she learned so many songs and so many vocabulary words and did she did learn quite a few skills. After my second got to be a tiny bit older, we did rein it back in quite a bit. We're still kind of holding strong on the no tablets, no phones, no anything like that. And we've really w- watched their screen time. However, some days it is 100% necessary in our household. What about you, Laura?
1: Yeah, I'm totally with you. With the first, it was easy. There was no TV. We were really careful about it. Once the second came in, the TV became more of a fixture in our house. I don't know that we're very good at controlling it. But I do have to say, um, if you're making sure that they're watching quality television, they do learn a lot of things that I learn. I mean, we learned a lot about um, emotional regulation. We learn about mm. um, interpersonal skills. We learn a lot of vocabulary. we learn about, um, the pa- like we pick up patterns and stories. The kids kind of know how a story progresses. I will say that sometimes I can tell which kids are um, watching regular full length TV shows at school, like, um, you know, when I'm, when I'm teaching them, I can tell who has been watching regular length TV shows and has been interacting with American culture that way. And which ones haven't because the ones that watch not like TikTok videos, not random YouTube videos, not um, playing video games, but the ones that are watching like a full length TV show, that's age appropriate or PBS or something like that. Those kids have a lot of skills um, and a lot of perspectives and a lot of vocabulary and a lot of understanding, ability to predict what's going to happen next in a story, comprehension, um, that the kids who are not doing that, who neither read nor watch TV are not getting. So definitely as a teacher, I'm encouraging you to make sure your kids read and all of that. But if for some reason you, they can't be reading all the time. I mean, you're, you've got things to do. They've got to watch the TV. Just make sure it's something really high quality. They will learn so much.
0: I agree with that. Totally. And screen, screen what they're going to watch too. We do that a lot with movies and things like that. We watch before they watch just so that we know, but that doesn't mean we keep them from content that can be challenging. What we do is we know what they're getting into. And then that way we know we're prepared for the conversation that might come. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Okay. The next one, life and marriage will never be the same. You can still have time for yourself and your hobbies. Uh, So the reality is having community support has made all the difference. We go on date nights regularly. So I guess that the question is, is life and marriage never the same? And the answer maybe is that with community support, it can be. What do you think, Madonna? Um,
0: So for us, we are on the side that we're not near any family or any like reliable uh, babysitters. We have a community who are wonderful, but they're great for us going on like play dates or things like that. you know, there have been times where we've had to leave our kids with people during emergency situations. And it's been wonderful to have people that we trust. However, do we regularly go on date nights? No. Do we regularly have time to ourselves? No. But we do, like we mentioned before, is we take our kids with us to a lot of places. Um, It's a little different because my kids do go to school in the mornings. So we have a couple of hours where we can get some things done. But usually, again, you know, my husband works full time, so it doesn't always work that way. But having community sport does make all the difference. I agree with that, but no, it does not. Our marriage does not look the same. I can't agree with that.
1: <laughs> yeah. And I think that, you know, in some ways it'll look even better so in some ways okay. life is better. I, you know, I was telling you, Madonna, before we started recording that we love our kids and we love taking them places with us and we love going out with them and we love seeing the world through their eyes. So, um, you know, just keep in mind that it won't look the same, but it might be even better. I I would argue that it's even better.
0: And without fail, Laura, when you go out, don't you always think about, oh, my kid would have loved that. Oh, we should do this with them. It still is about them. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely.
1: And then it doesn't have to be worrying, but we, I mean, our life is about our kids. I don't know. Some people say that's negative. I've never seen that as a negative. I, I love them.
0: Yeah. Same, same, same. Um, which this one is kind of the antithesis of the other one, which was the other one was being a stay-at-home mom means you're a failure. This one was being a working mom means that I don't care about my kid. But this person said their reality is that my kid loves me and is proud of me for being a working mommy. What do you think, Laura? I
1: love this one. Actually, it reminds me of something that happened uh, several years ago. So the first time I published a book, it was called Becoming Tasoni, and uh, my daughter came and brought me like a $40, like two $20 bills. And was like, mommy, I'd like to buy your book, please. Oh my gosh. How sweet. And I was just like, obviously melted, but just felt like she, (laughs) she saw what I did and appreciated it and loved me for it. You know? And I felt like, Oh, like that's, it's a completely different thing. No working moms bring so much to the table, teach their kids so much. They teach them work ethic and, um, you know, how to manage and juggle lots of different things. So no, definitely being a working mom does not mean you don't care about your kid, no.
0: And I think we talked about this before on the roles of fathers versus mothers episode a few episodes back. And the idea is that things have changed We're two parent, like two working parent households most of the time, and each person works on their strengths and they have things to contribute in the home, things to contribute at work, and they both have their place and are valued. That's for sure. Yeah. The next
1: one is that befriending your kid is the key to raising them. But the reality is, unless the Lord builds the home, the laborers work in vain. What do you think?
0: Yeah, yeah. I thought this was one of those things that I thought I would fix with my parents. Uh, I thought that, you know, I didn't have a close enough friendly relationship with my parents. It was very much like they were in charge and I was like the the child. Um, And what I found is it's not that the answer is to become friends with your kid, though. I do want an open communication relationship with them. I want them to be able to come to me, but there is still a boundary to be set there. There is still, um, you know, Things for them that they need to understand mom and dad have to make the final decision on and not everything can be a conversation. Sometimes no is just no and yes is just yes. Um, But they they can work together with being communicative as well, you know. And yes, hundred percent Lord builds the home and the laborers work in vain. I can, Danny and I can read all the parenting books and try to do all the techniques with our kids and do everything possible under the sun. None of that will matter unless we involve God in our home. And he is in charge of the outcome of what happens with our kids and what choices we make. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I think that, you know, everything is by the grace of God. When they listen, it's by the grace of God. When they do okay. well at school, it's by the grace of God you know, we, we're doing what we can and we're doing our part, but
0: again, going back to that idea at the beginning that we don't control the outcome. So we really need God's help. Um, The next one is I, the myth is I would feel like a parent right away, but the reality is I am still surprised that I have kids. And I remember that when we brought Elise home and I woke up the next morning and I was like, wait, is this real? Is she real? Did we do this? Like, does she belong to us now? And I am pleasantly surprised that it has not gone away the feeling has not gone away what about you Laura yeah I definitely sometimes I'm like
1: whoa who is this person who you know owns a house and is married and yes two children too like how and when I think I once read like on a, on a humans of New York post or something that um, this like 90 year old lady always was saying that she felt like she was still 21 inside and I feel like we all, we're all still 21, just pretending to be whatever our real age is. Yeah, like being a parent is my parents' job. It's not my job. <laughs> what is this? It is hard to accept, but I, we're doing it even if we're still not hundred percent convinced. <laughs> okay. The next one is finding a perfect marriage partner, uh, no matter how much you go. Oh, so if you find the perfect marriage partner, uh, no matter how much you agree, you will still raise your kids differently you won't agree on everything um what do you think madonna do you and daniel as loving as you are agree on everything about parenting (laughs)
0: um This is a tough one because Danny really does a good job of defaulting to me with the whole child rearing thing. He's like, I did not know anything about kids. I never experienced kids. I never held a kid until basically we had our kids. So whenever there's a decision that comes up, he pretty much defaults to me. However, he obviously has opinions and sometimes they're different than mine and sometimes they're better than mine. So it's a absolute partnership and I don't claim to have the uh, monopoly on raising kids. And he doesn't either, which I think has been the best thing for us. Yes, we have differences of opinions. Yes, we don't think the same things uh, sometimes. But we do recognize that like he has a strength in certain things. I have a strength in certain things. So we default to other people, to each other when, it, when the need arises. What about you, Laura?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Abun and I don't always agree. But I think that the important thing is to have those discussions and figure out you know where the compromise is or which direction you're going to go. Just the other day, we, um, our daughter came and said, I'd like to buy myself this, this item that's really expensive. And Abuna's perspective was, we're your parents. We'll buy it. We'll take care of you. You know, we, we take care of all your needs. And he has excellent reasons for that. And then my opinion or my perspective was, no, it's good to earn your money and learn how to spend it and manage the money. And we haven't even made a decision yet on which way we are going to go on it but just the idea that like both partners have a perspective and they have something to offer and that we need to have those conversations. Um, but yeah, even in a perfect marriage, you're not going to be of one mind on everything.
0: That's true. That's very true. Um, the next one was it gets easier after the first year, but the reality is it just gets hard in different ways. (laughs) I think that's the, that's the negative of it. I think I would put this in a more positive light and say it doesn't get easier, but you get better you get better at dealing with the things that change. And obviously with every season, different things happen and you have to adjust again, and then you get complacent and you get comfortable and then something changes again. So it's hard in that it's nothing is predictable, but it's easy in that you and your partner become stronger in raising your kids. And if you don't have a partner, then you just become better at dealing with the challenges as they come along. Yeah. I think that,
1: Uh, every age has its challenges and its beauty. I think that's one of the pieces of advice that my father-in-law gave us um, is to enjoy the age that the kids are in. You know, Mm -hmm. every age has so much beauty to offer and along with the challenges that it brings. So recognizing that and learning to um, catch up to the rhythm, like you said, don't get complacent, you know, adjust to the new rhythm, adjust to the new child that's in front of you, recognize them for who they are and what they're they're working on. So it gets easier after the first year. Yeah, no, it's definitely harder in different ways, but hard in a beautiful way. Right. Okay, the next one, Madonna, is, you should let your baby cry through the night and don't hold them or else you'll spoil them. And the reality, which we got from a psychiatrist, is that self-soothing is actually learned helplessness. Ooh,
0: painful. It is painful. I know a lot of people who still hold hard and fast to the let the baby cry it out. And for them it's working. And so I don't want to pass judgment about what's right and what's wrong. Um, but for me, it was definitely hard. It was not one of those things that I was okay with. I, I, definitely went in and I, you know, tried the whole padding on the back, but not picking them up and letting them know. And then I just kind of gave in, I would pick them up and I would help them. And I'm proud to say that both of my kids sleep through the night. Now, <laughs> you know, there's the, some occasions where they'll have a bad dream and they'll wake up, but most of the time they are independent sleepers and they, you know, will come every now and then for something. How about you?
1: Yeah, I would say, uh, one of my sisters is really good at this self-soothing thing, but I, Just never had the heart for it or the courage for it. I'm definitely like, come snuggle with me as long as you need to. Yes, yes, I am of that same opinion. (laughs) Please snuggle me. (laughs) You're right. I'm the one that needs snuggles. Please don't (laughs) cry. Actually, when my kids would cry, I don't know if you have this experience, but especially with the first one, my stomach would clench so much. It was so distressing physically to me when they were upset. So I couldn't personally could not
0: ignore my own physical reaction. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't matter. You're still going to be awake thinking like, are they crying because something's wrong? Or are they crying because they're just upset? Like, what's the reason? So
1: yeah. it didn't help
0: me to keep them in their room. That's for sure.
1: <laughs> I'm sure somebody knows the trick. You know, there are some parents that are really good at this, but I yes. think Madonna and I are on the other side. We, we're, <laughs> yeah. we're helpless about this. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Okay. And finally, the last response, which I'm really glad that we're ending with because I think it just uh, encompasses everything about everything we've talked about today. And that is the myth is that kids are just carbon copies of their parents or of adult counterparts. But the reality is they are actually their own people with their own ideas, with their own thoughts and emotions. What do you have to say about this, Laura?
1: Yeah, I definitely, it's easier to think of them as carbon copies of us. You know, Um, my daughter is like her father, my son is like his mother. But the fact of the matter is, even now, I'm realizing that they have to have so many of their own opinions and traits. And we absolutely cannot put them even into the boxes of our own behavior. They're going to be their own people. Um, You know, we don't like the same, we're not interested in the same things, we just are not going to be. And so trying to acknowledge that and actually recognize that it's a blessing. We don't want them to be like us. We're not yeah. that great. So.
0: And I think that for me, um, I realized it very early on that my children were not going to be little me's and <laughs> or little Danny's for that matter. However, um, they do exhibit a lot of the same traits, sometimes in good ways, sometimes not in good ways. But what I realize is that I can't necessarily deal with them or do the things with them that I want. It's, I have to adjust to who they are as their own. They are a complete person. They are a complete person who are learning to adapt and adjust to the environment around them, just like I was. And just like, I still am, even as a grown adult, we're still trying to figure it out. So for them, for us to assume that they would just be able to figure it out as adults in the snap of a finger is unfair because we have not done that. So ourselves, um, and this is just a really long journey that we're on trying to manage each other's emotions and each other's thoughts. And, um, and this is really where God needs to step in for us. You know, it's not one of those things we can manage on our own.
1: And I do want to add to that something I've been thinking about, about a lot lately, about how they cannot be carbon copies of us because they are not just products of our genetics, mm. of our church life. They're also products of their environment, their generation, the time period they're in. There's, there's no way for them to be carbon copies of us. And, you know, a lot of us um, are, are very conservative and we we want, we love the old ways and we want things to go the way they've always gone. And, you know, just a little bit of recognition that God put our kids in this time and in this place and in this family and recognizing that, you know, all of, all of the things that make them their own people are things that were put there
0: by God and that were...
1: Um, you know orchestrated by God on purpose
0: purposeful and in general about these myths as one of my good friends wrote and contributed on our facebook post she said you know if your child is a human child and of the human variety they will react like every human child of that variety before them there is no exception that there they will be they will have the tantrums and they will have the explosions of emotions and they will have their own thoughts and they will do the right things and they'll do wrong things it's just something we need to accept and learn and adapt through.
1: Yeah, we just want to encourage you today that um, parenting before kids and after kids looks very different, but that doesn't mean you can't do it. You're going to adapt to your children. You, you're going to grow with them. You're going to learn new things through all the stages. And you're going to love it most days and some days maybe a little bit less. Um,
0: <laughs> but that, that is what it is. And that's the truth. And the biggest takeaway I've seen from parenting my own kids is, like we said before, God uses parenting to refine us. It holds up a mirror to the parts of ourselves that need to be changed or challenged, and it's ultimately for our good. So seek out mentors and other people who have gone before you that you trust for the support and the guidance that you need. So with that being said, thank you so much for joining us today on this week's episode of Raising Up Cops.
1: Remember that you can find us at RaisingUpCops.com and email us at RaisingUpCops at gmail.com. Raising Up Cops is a podcast hosted by Laura Michael and Madonna Lowendi. None of the views expressed during this recording are the official stance of the Coptic Church or its hierarchy. These are purely our personal opinions, collected experiences, and organic discussions on selected topics. If you'd like to reach out with any questions or comments, please email RaisingUpCops at gmail.com or post on the Coptic Dad and Mom Parenting Community on Facebook.